Just a, a little brief synopsis of the story. In 1979, I came. I was 17. So if you're quick, you can figure out how old I am. <laughs> and I came to UC Santa Cruz, and I was in, uh, in a class Jack Engler was teaching. And that was my first introduction to Dhamma. And that, even though we were sitting in a lecture hall at the university, was a little bit like pouring uh, gasoline on a bonfire and throwing a match on it. So within the first week of that class, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that a spiritual life was going to be central. And within a month of being in that class, I had this vision of being a nun, which for me was really like out of left field. Because I'm from California, my family's Jewish, I like uh, to be incredibly independent, I don't like rules, I'm not very good at following conventions. And so, you know, the whole idea of being a nun was not anything that was part of my either culture or really even my personality. But this vision arose and was very strong, and it kept coming back to me for many years. So that class with Jack Engler was an, a very meaningful class. Um, it's really quite life-changing. And in that class, he talked about... Uh, he talked about Ajahn Shah. He told stories about Jack Cornfield and Ajahn Sumedha. And also during that class, I had this real strong longing to go on pilgrimage and meet some of these masters and spend time and practicing with them. So then I kind of made a, a determination to go on pilgrimage. But life being what it is, it took a while to get there. So <laughs> I think uh, eight years later, in 1980, December of 1987 I took off for pilgrimage to India and uh, I'd given away all my belongings I bought a one way ticket I said goodbye to my boyfriend and to my family and I said I'm off and for myself I didn't know when I was coming back but I knew I didn't want to come back until I knew that the time was right so I didn't have a set time I had a sense of wanting to see something through and uh, see what happened. So by that time I had been meditating for nine years and just like yourselves, the only place where I had been meditating were in retreat centers where we had carpets on the floor and lovely shrines and nice places to sit and people who were offering instructions and giving us encouragement and the kind of grubbiness that you have to deal with sitting, you know, aching knees and tired minds and frustrated and irritated and it doesn't settle and sometimes fear that comes and all the rest of that, you know. So the context for having spent those nine years was only on retreats, just like you're on now. And so... Um, while I was on this pilgrimage, it was an important pilgrimage because I was... Um, I was able to meet Deepa Ma, and that was life-changing, meeting somebody who had that kind of power of love. So have you heard of Deepa Ma? Yeah. And so just being in her presence, she was tiny. I mean, she was like four feet tall. But her presence filled up this... It was huge. It was enormous. 
And it was so still and so deeply loving. And even though what she was renowned for, or she was known to have very powerful uh, psychic powers and have attained very deep states of realization, what was the most apparent was her loving quality. So it was being like being in a huge, vast, still ocean. So that, to me, was meaningful. And again, it reawakened that strong interest to practice, devote my life to the truth, to cultivate, until there was that realization. And I spent some time in Nepal. And, you know, being in Asia is not easy, particularly when you're traveling on your own, because there is very little there that reinforces the sense of who you are. Our values are not being reaffirmed and the sense of ourself is not being reaffirmed. And so the longer I stayed, the less I understood and it was a kind of melting down process. So I went I went uh, um, up to uh, Dharamsala. I was on my way to Ladakh and I was going to have some time just wandering around before going to Burma where I had a... a, a re- a visa for a three-month retreat at the Mahasi Center, which in those times was not an easy thing to have. It took quite a, a bit of, of negotiating to get a three-month visa to the Mahasi Center. And when I was in Dharamsala, I met a, a young man who was about my age who was staying at the Tibetan guest house. And being a young woman traveling on my own, you got very streetwise as to who people you could trust and who you couldn't. So I looked at him, and I could see within a few seconds that he was quite trustworthy, and, and I felt comfortable asking him if he would be wanting to go on an overnight adventure with me. Because for me, it had always been the case that living and being in nature was medicinal. And because I was out of sorts, I felt uh, unsettled and a little bit disoriented and overwhelmed. You know, for me, if I could head to the mountains, you know, I used to go backpacking in the Sierras, or I went a number of times backpacking in Big Sur. And I come out feeling grounded and refreshed and well and oriented and knowing what I needed to know and do. So my instinct was just to head for the hills. What I knew in India, I couldn't, I couldn't do that mm. by myself alone, but that would be too scary or too risky, not scary. So here was a young chap, and I asked him if he would go, and he was happy to go, and so we packed our packs, and we, we, had, a, we had a picnic, and we had sleeping bags, and it, it was May. In fact, it was two nights before the full moon of May in 1988. And we... <laughs> slept overnight underneath the full moon and we left our big packs and we were wandering off the track which was my favoriteest thing to do because I was always happiest when I was lost (laughs) and we got down to the stream on the bottom of this canyon and we washed our face and we had our picnic and we were making our way up to where we had left our big packs and we came to this rock now Brian had known me two days three, two, I can't remember so he didn't know my skill levels or my confidence levels. So 
he climbed down this rock and was in front of this rock and climbed up to the side and was on top of the rock and I was climbing down and standing in front and asking me if I was confident to climb up it to join him where he was and as I'm climbing down this rock I said did you notice there was a cave I had my sunglasses on I had a hot on I had my little day pack and I don't remember what he said and I stand back and I'm about as far away from the opening of the cave as I am to you so not very far and the cave was about this high okay so it wasn't a huge opening but it was about that high and then comes from the cave a noise a noise the likes of which I have never heard before nor have I ever heard since it was deafeningly loud and it was a combination of a roar and a growl and a snort and then very quickly following the noise came a very large black bear that was running towards me from that distance and when his face was about this far away from my face all kinds of things happened at the same time I screamed, I went for refuge and I blanked out from the fear and I jumped back and then Brian said I screamed again but I don't remember screaming again and somehow or another we were on a very steep slope and and there was a tree with a branch that was horizontal to the ground and somehow I got wrapped around the branch so my belly was pressed into the tree and the bear was pressed into me so I had a proper bear hug (laughs) (laughs) and my little head was in the jaws of that bear so if you look at the scars those are from the teeth of the bear (laughs) I came to conscious awareness And the first moment of awareness, because the bear was still there, was a fear. Now, that might not be too surprising. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a fear I have never seen before. It was infinite. I mean, it was so absolute, total. There was no space around it. It had no edges to it. It was absolute fear. But with the meditation practice, there was fear and the knowing of fear. Mm -hmm. And then what came was the thought, well, there's no point in being afraid because you're going to die. And the knowing of that thought. So an object of mind arose in consciousness and there was the knowing of the object. And then what happened after that to me was always a little bit of a miracle because the sound of Om came up inside of me. Now, I don't know what Theravada practice is like here in California, but at then, we didn't do Om. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
And so the sound of O came up, and there was just the interest to bring attention and rest with the sound. The bear had not left. In fact, my head was still in his jaws. He was still chewing on my head. Okay? And with that turning of mind to rest attention with the sound of Om, my whole body relaxed. There was no tension in my body. There was a sense of rapture. There was a sense of interest, of lightness. There was watching mind and body with this curiosity of its dissolving. And wow, what's that going to be like? And the instant of allowing attention to turn to the sound of own, the bear left. Now, Brian was on the rock, and he was watching. And when he looked down, he couldn't see me. All he could see was bear. He couldn't see any part of my body because I was completely embraced by the bear. (laughs) And what he saw the bear do was jump. And he jumped with his arms and legs spread out. And he jumped and he slid down this very steep slope until he regained his feet 15 or 20 feet away and then ran away. There was a long story that followed, but we ended up getting back up to where our camp, or we left our big packs and walking down, and I needed, you know, rabies shots and tetanus shots and stitched up and all the rest of that. And, you know, there was, there was still more journey. But for me, what was interesting about the story was is that so many of us have this deep-seated belief that when I get what I want and when I get rid of what I want then I will be happy and what this story really helps illuminate is is that in a moment of profound attention and surrender there is happiness I mean the good thing about the story was not that the bear left But the good thing about the story is is that the surrender was so deep that by by the time the bear left, there was absolutely no preference or opinion about that at all. Right? Now, the reason why I tell this, partly is because it's about 20 years since it happened. But also because, you know, it's not uncommon on the first day of retreat where people are saying, what am I doing this for? You know, what value does this have? And how on earth does this have any meaning in a bigger picture? You know? The mind is restless and tired, and it's hot, and the knees hurt, and it's sleepy, it's aggravating, it's irritating, nothing settles, it doesn't feel comfortable. And one genuinely asks, what am I doing this for? But it was exactly working with these kind of things in this kind of a way, in this kind of context, that gave the capacity for being with something where having had that capacity, for me, meant that I was able 
to stay alive. So we can fast forward a few years. We went to England and took robes and spent time there. And fast forward a few more years, and I left England and wandered around uh, the planet for a while. Fast forward a few more years, came back to England and have been there for five years. And now there's a strong interest in coming to America and establishing a, a branch monastery, a training monastery for nuns someplace here in California. And just yesterday we were looking at a piece of property that's about 40 minutes away from here, up the coast. It was still very early days, and whether or not that comes to be is still, there's lots of questions about that. The, 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 the situation is, is that there's a group of nuns who are interested in establishing a training monastery for people who feel a call to uh, a renunciant life. So I say and share this little story um, just to offer a few words of encouragement that what you're doing here is not insignificant. And even though it might not feel like the contents of what you're experiencing are particularly inspiring, learning how to work with things that aren't particularly inspiring sometimes is very helpful. Maybe I will pause here and pass on to my very dear sister Ajahn Peka and see if she has words to share about her life as a nun and her experience in living this life. nice to see all of you here and uh, I don't have a extraordinary story but <laughs> <laughs> it's more more simple and ordinary and uh, my vision of life was to be a mother into a fortune and, uh, and I found myself to be a nun it was out of my control I started with uh, going to a Gandhi community, and that is what I was wanting to be much involved about non-violence. And uh, I told myself, directly in a society, this is what will, the work I have to be done for myself and helping other people. And so I never thought I would be a nun or engage with religious people because I have very strong views and ideas about who they are. And it was not very nice. <laughs> I thought they are lazy and demanding and controlling and making the world, 50% of the world, conform from religion. And that was my views about it. Because uh, become from a family, Catholic family, I grew up in a Catholic school. And uh, remembering my 
childhood in uh, this Catholic school, I remember the only f- movie I used to see is about what's happening in Africa and Asia. And, and I always felt, that's what I want to do. I want to help. You know, I want to help people who are suffering. But when I left my 20s, I forgot about it. I was very fixed to get married and afford four children. And uh, <clears throat> so I went to a Gandhi community. I, I really love it. I mean, it was a big awakening for me because the practice was more like mindfulness in daily life. And uh, so we ring the bell in every hour and when we stop for one minute, just checking where we are. And that was amazing how my mind very quickly settled in and I started to really discover who I am. And... Um, and doing become more aware of uh, uh, my life and what the body is and my deep desire coming up. And uh, I start to be with my partner. I start to detach and get more interested or going deep and deep in practicing meditation. And, uh, and after three months, I left the community. I have a deep dream telling me that this, you're not meant to a small community, you're meant for a big community. So uh, waking up in the morning, I said to my partner, crying, I said, I don't know what that means, but I know I have to feel that. I know that that is true for me. But they didn't tell me where to go. So, um, and he said, well, you can't follow this kind of dream, you know, it's it's a little bit crazy. I said, well, I know something really is true, something really is very true. He said, well, just wait. So I wait, and every day, and after one week, I said, I really have to go. So what I did, I knew a t- teacher, a Tirada teacher in France, Dallardèche, and I went to see him. It was from Ajahn Shah community. And, uh, and he saw me. I met him a few times before, and when he saw me, he laughed, and he knew that I would come back to him. And uh, one thing I have a lot of difficulty is that sitting. I was very much, uh, I'm very active and very strong body energy. So for me, sitting would always be a torture. And this kind of a practice, the other school was teaching, talks about Sayadan practice and everything becomes slow and uh, concentrated. And uh, so I was in very, very much a lot of pain in it. And it was very challenging. So I was taking my time. I used to go to see him a very, very short time, one day or two days, and have only a five days of treat for a year. And uh, then uh, the time passed by, a few years, and then one of my sisters died. She got a cancer, and, um, and I was taking care of her. She was one year younger than me, so we were very, very close. And then uh, I realized what was happening. She didn't want to die, and she was terrified. And a lot of fear and anxiety and anger, rage. Why me? You know, I'm just 33. I have a little baby, eight months. And uh, I don't understand what, what happened. And I was trying to explain to her, like, well, look, there's a lot of people around us. If we listen to news and media, nothing in, in our close family, you know, people are dying. But that could not touch her. You know. What about me? What about me? It that really struck me as a gosh, well, I'm practicing, and actually, I'm also afraid to die. I'm not ready to die, actually. And that, you know, to helping her to the process which, uh, of dying, and she died 
you know, less uh, very peacefully, you know, that's the gift she gave to me. I said, I don't have time. I have to do it now. I have to practice now because I'm scared also. And I don't understand what, what, what's happening. I'm afraid of suffering. You know, any pain, a toothache, or headache, or so short, I really, oh, I have to do something about it straight away now. I have to get out of that pain. And sitting just five minutes, I have like a needles on my Botox. Like, <laughs> let me not sit quietly and settle down. So much afraid about, so much attachment about the, the comfort, you know, the sense of I wanted to experience life always with ease and joy. And, uh, so that was where my journey started. You know. I just went back to my teacher and said, well, I know there is nothing in France for women. But I know there is a, a community, a religious community in England. And I said, I don't want to be with religious people. I just want to be with spiritual people. <laughs> 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 I don't want to be with this kind of people. <laughs> so I was too narrow-minded, you know. And also because I didn't like rules, you know. I like we, I, the inquiring of life, you know. We're questioning things, and we move, and we change things. And he said, just go and see. I said, okay, I'll just see for one month, you know. And I went. And, uh, and uh, it felt very nice to be with these people. They were very kind, very soft and gentle. So I have Amalvati, it was And uh, after three days, you know, I started to, I remember I was sit, uh, standing outside, not very far from Ajahn Somedokuti, and I was standing with strange tears coming out and saying, a voice inside me said, this is your place, this is your home. And I just, you know, from the heart, that voice comes up. And I start to cry. My mom said, just run. <laughs> 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 no way. And at that moment, I just saw me to appear. He said, what happened, Simon? What's going on? And my English was very, uh, very little English at that time. I said, well, Ma said, here. And my man said, go. <laughs> and he just laughed. He said, no, no, you are meant to be alone. And I said, well, I don't know, not sure. And then I start to really contemplate, so just uh, asking questions without trying to find an answer. And I was uh, very surprised about that kind of inquiry. You know, usually the man wants to find an answer. But for me, it was like the first time I was able to just ask a question: you know, Is it really my own? And not trying to find out, but just waiting and waiting. And waiting. Because I wanted to hear that voice again. Of course, I experienced and I wanted to hear again. I knew that it was the voice of the truth that resonated straight away. I knew that, oh, that's it. If I want to know something, I have to go to the silence. I have to wait. Not thinking about it or analyzing it or looking what monks are doing or nuns are doing. Because I mean, they were doing things that I thought they were all enlightened that I very quickly discovered. <laughs> Actually, they are not. <laughs> and that was very disappointing. <laughs> so I said, well, come back home again. I have to come back here, home. When said, this is your home. Aha, uh -huh, I understand what I mean. Come back home, here. Doesn't matter what's going on around. But this is a beautiful place. This is a place of anchoring, finding out. That is what they were offering these religious people. For me to allow to see and understand it. 
Then after one month, I said, okay, well, this is my life. Now I decided, okay, I come back to France and I said to my family, which they could not understand it, they were like, are you sure about that? And uh, because they knew my ideas about life and my friend could not relate at all because they were not on the spiritual path, they were more involved politically, you know, you do act and um, so they could not relate to what I was doing. And but I say bye bye to everyone. In my work, I was uh, working in a kindergarten. I helped him, not as a teacher, but as a helper. And said, "Are you sure we were very in a good team?" You know, and said, "Are you sure?" Well, yes. And my boss, he said, "Well, we're going to ignore your letter. We're going to keep for one year here, and you can come back any time." <laughs> And that, that I felt like, again, something else was coming and supporting me, you know. Everything also around me manifesting that we want to support you to whatever you need to do. <coughs> that if you have any doubt or anything, there is a, still a possibility to come back, you don't lose your job. And I found this, this I mean, that for me was like a great mystery. Something was happening and I, I could not understand it. Everything was easy and... I said, right, thank you very much. And I left, and I never come back. And I, I went, of course, just for one year. And so, and after a few months and months, and uh, I just said, so, so, so what? So what? So what? And I said, well, one moment. Huh? I said, I'm not ready yet. And they were like, so what? And so what? And I was really afraid. I was really afraid to get... Um, this kind of uh, entering something very I found very powerful you know the ancient uh, religion and that's not something small to take on and that, that was really scary so they said uh, well we don't make vow here don't worry about that you can leave any time I said oh that's fine <laughs> So then uh, one day I decided, I said, you know, I was cooking in the morning and uh, I went to see Agent Somedo. And one afternoon I said, This is a day, this is my best. Okay, I don't question anymore, I just go. And I went and bowed in front of him and he said, I said, Okay, I want to ordain. And uh, he looked and he laughed. He said, Well, she's asking, I want to ordain, like a, going buying a big bag of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I want, <laughs> and, and they all laugh, you know, and uh, because they knew my limitation of that speaking English, so they all laugh, and I bow, and then the process started, and uh, it was not easy journey, but the only thing I could deal with is say, okay, one day at a time, that's how far I could do, because I was so much dealing with a lot of fear, a lot, lot of fear. So, and my commitment was, as the people were saying, why can you for? I said, why? Because I want to be free from fear. That is only what I want, is to be free from fear. Nothing else, I don't care who I am, what I'm doing. But find the place, the tools that are going to help me to be free from fear. And I felt that is a place. It's so challenging. There's no one moment that you can delude yourself when you are living with people. They always tell you, let you know where you are. But what's amazing is, is a container we have as a monastic, which is incredibly powerful. 
Our intention is to be free. All of us, we come with that intention. Taking refuge in the Buddha Dharma Sangha, keeping the precept, and this continuous inquiring about who we are and letting go. The sense of me and other, letting go of sense of separation. When we understand our own suffering, then we can open our heart to, to see the suffering on us people. And if I see someone suffering, then I can say, oh, she's suffering like me. I have the same fear, I have the same anger. I'm, I'm afraid also to do things. I'm afraid I don't like suffering. I don't like disease. I, I don't like to get old also. It's not easy to get old. I'm getting old. 60 and using my teeth and all the body feeling apart and I think I'm still young and my body says, oh, one moment, you know, the energy is not the same. <laughs> the people say, you look so young. Yes, I am. Mine look young. You know, and I feel young, actually. I like to play. Mm-hmm. I like to make jokes. And, but my body is always so, sometimes so you know, he's a little bit more rest here. So it's not an easy journey. And many times I want to leave it, I say, what I'm doing? But the moment I put my head on my pillow even in, I said, well, it's not done yet. If that is the best place you can be, you have all the ingredients to work with your fear here. Like why now? All the ingredients are here for me to work with my fear. And until uh, we have no sense of slight disease, are we carry on to do what I'm doing? That is my commitment. Our painful it is, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to be humiliated and bashed down and uh, whatever. But on that process, one to said I experienced a trauma. Day by day and years by years, now it's 23 years in the community, I can't recognize myself. I'm totally different person as on the level of personality and my character is soft and gentle, it's quite rough. And uh, I'm more spacious, I'm more have the quality to be able to listen. And something here I can rest on when before I could not, because I didn't know who I was. You know. I didn't have that sense of space was my refuge was to hide, you know, to run away from situations and places where they're challenging and difficult. So I have, a, I have to control life, you know, to have a, my friends and my home and my place and my holidays because I would be afraid to extend it because something might happen. But now I can go anywhere and I know that anywhere are we are friends. Because I'm a very good person and I know my life is very good and so that we happen. I have no doubt. I'm still working on some difficulty, like coming to that journey. I'm delighted, you know, my dear, dear friend, Ajantana Santi, invited me to come here. And uh, for the last few years, I stopped teaching because I used to have a lot of fear and anxiety. I'm still working with it. And she just come. I invite you. And we're a very good, close friend. And she said, you don't have to do nothing. Well, you know, what happened today? <laughs> I did say to her before, I said, it's your floor, it's not my floor. She said, well, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> 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 
So I came, and uh, and it's a delightful, it's a very very good experience to see when I feel anxiety or feel slightly coming back. It's such difference because it's shorter, and I can feel I can be very aware of when that happened up straight away because the training of 20 years of mindfulness I can see there I, I don't use mindfulness I'm fear now I'm not saying I don't have fear but it's that awareness that mindfulness is here all the time is holding me so you might experience fear but that awareness there is bigger than my fear much bigger so what happened doesn't matter if I speak or don't speak, doesn't matter. It, that is what it's all about. That is what you are doing. That's you are working on it. Whatever is going to happen to you when you develop this mindfulness, awareness, this is what you're going to rest on. And it's like they have a strong spine, you know, you can lay out. And it's wonderful. And you spend your life to say thank you, thank you. It was difficult, it was challenging, it was ugly sometimes, it was very tough. But there is also a lot of joy and love in the end of that space, which is always there. That is a true refuge. It's not about religion. It's about this awareness. That's what we're made of. So I really encourage you to really appreciate what you are doing and starting with this loving kindness about yourself. Recognize this is very precious. This is very special. This is not something small you are doing right now. It's very powerful because you are doing to, starting to be kind and compassionate to yourself, but also you are sharing that with your family, friend, and to the place and to the world. If the world right now is in terrible state, because there is a lot, a lot of fear and insecurity. So I really wish you well, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.
computer, the gong, at a more phonetic pace, and, <laughs> and, uh, and that would call you to the lower part of the line there, and then you would gather and you could evacuate. And so, um, and then the other part of the plan is to, if you are leaving um, the site at all today, um, if you're a commuter or if you have to go out for any reason, then you let me know. And so that also when you return to the property, you let me know so that I have a clear list of who's here and where you are so that uh, if we do need to evacuate, we can. And I'm uh, not worried about leaving me behind when you are actually here. And so, uh, so those couple of things. And, uh, and so we're just going to you know, hold that in our practice. We're not going to take any action, physical action, unless we're advised to. But if you, um, if you do live in an area of concern, the reception has a welcome you to use their phone if you to call home just to settle your mind about you know, how people are doing there. But if most of you are kind of in the northern um, Santa Cruz area, um, Santa Rosa Valley, it's mostly in the Watsonville. And they're worried about the walking more corridors. It's good coming down corridors coming in. And in that area. So that's So I was talking at lunch with Ajahn Tanasanti and Ajahn Pekka, remembering, and I just talked with Rajesh up at Mount Madonna, remembering some years ago when I taught a little tiny retreat at Mount Madonna Mm -hmm. while there was a fire that was coming towards Mount Madonna. I know that Shama remembers this well. And um, it was actually a very powerful experience to sit knowing that that was going on around us. And I know the community was busy preparing and we were busy sitting and somehow the balance there were fewer of us sitting than preparing, but it seemed to work pretty well. They, they, I was told, really appreciated the sitting. So I think that's something we can do right now, is that we can sit and we can hold that place of silence and stillness. And uh, we, uh, we were actually hoping that perhaps you'd guide us in a little meta after maybe a bit of a stretch break. You know, the, because there are people. I know that Marcy's partner is packing up his house, right this their house, right this minute, and. Um, so there are people out there who are worried and who are needing to get ready to evacuate so we can hold them in our metta so so I think maybe a bit of a stretch and um, maybe say a 10 minute sort of walk stretch and then come back in and we'll have the sitting that normally happens right now and that will end at 4.30 and then Qigong or walking, but remembering to stay close in in case there's any need to call people together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.